Hello, everybody, and happy holidays wherever you might happen to be. I find myself on top of a beautiful porch overlooking downtown Boston in Medford, Massachusetts. Uh, this is on the University, uh, what, Tufts? Excuse me, Tufts University campus. And uh, from here, I can just barely see the rail line that goes out to the city of Lowell, Massachusetts. One of our listeners suggested that I get in touch with the people behind the Lowell Kinetic Sculpture Race, and uh, this is one of many kinetic sculpture races that happen all the way around the world. Uh, I'm going to find a list of those and post them with this episode so that you can refer to one that might be happening near you. If you happen to be anywhere near Lowell, Massachusetts, or anywhere else in New England for that matter, I'd say get down and see this happen because it sounds like a ton of fun. So, I met Michael and Bianca at uh, the temporary skating rink that Bianca helps manage down at the, uh, what is it, Boston Winter installation at the Boston City Hall, City Hall Plaza. Yes, it was cold. I was riding Carl Larson's Brompton to get down there. Thank you, Carl, for the loaner bike. I appreciate it. And uh, on the way there, actually, a guy in, in traffic said to me after rolling down his passenger side window, big guy on a little Brompton. And I said, yep. <laughs> Gave him a thumbs up and kept on riding. So, Again, wherever your holidays find you, I hope that uh, you are well. Hope you're having uh, hope you're having a great holiday season. Uh, big thank you to Aaron and Guthrie who have been doing an excellent job holding down this year's editions of the Sprocket Podcast, and look forward to more of those coming soon. So, uh, without further ado, like I said, this is recorded at the at the skating rink, so there is a little bit of background noise. You're going to hear some uh, some music. I've tried to filter the audio to make it easy to listen to, but uh, again. Michael and Bianca from the Lowell Kinetic Sculpture Race. Check it out. Why don't you introduce yourselves for the tape so people know <laughs> who you are? Yeah, so uh, my name is Michael Roundy. Uh, I'm one of the co-directors of the Lowell Kinetic Sculpture Race. And my name is Bianca Morrow. I am the other co-director slash producer of Kinetic Sculpture Race. There we go. And so this is an exciting event that I've, I've heard a little bit about. And I see the website's pulled up back there. I was looking at the mobile version earlier, so um, tell me tell me what it's about first. Yeah, so they're um, they're human-powered all-terrain sculptures that make their way through the city of Lowell. So they um, they start we start off in a downtown location. Um, we go through uh, we go through some of the streets. There's a cobblestone area that we call Bone Shaker Alley that kind of shakes out the uh, the uh, machines a little bit, and then they scoot their way over to a giant mud pit that's about 50 feet long um, and about six inches deep. And they make, uh, they make their way through that. If they make their way through that, we've had last year, we had probably a good uh, half of our teams had issues uh, either during the mud pit or a post mud pit. Is this a mud pit that exists all the time? Or no. Is, no, you no, it so we create it. Okay, yep. yeah. Um, and then, uh, um, and then after that, they scooch over to the Merrimack River where they go down the boat ramp and have to navigate the water and then come up on the, uh, on the beach and then race their way back to uh, the finish line in downtown. Very cool. Yeah. And, and what are your roles in this event? Um, I I manage teams and um, help with general kind of race stuff and uh, like the the action of the race. Um, and Bianca does a lot of like the production. She does all the production stuff. I do. And is also uh, the main production fundraiser. development, fundraising, marketing. Pretty much everything else. Okay. Yeah. She's go. the she's she's the queen of, of the race. <laughs> she makes it happen. Um, I'm I guess I could be the creative person, but uh, she's the one that actually makes it happen. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And this is happening. Uh, we said the third 
weekend. Yeah, so September. annually it's the third weekend of September. Um, we kind of did that, did it that way on purpose. It's still warm enough that you don't mind tossing yourself in the water, right. uh, but people have gone back to school for the year. So a big focus of ours is to engage the students of all ages in the surrounding communities and cities and states. Last year we had teams coming from as far away as, we had team members from Pennsylvania coming. We had a machine shipped over from Corvallis Labs in Oregon. Um, people come from all over to do this and engaging students is really important to us because our mission focuses around inspiring the visionaries and, and engineers of the future. And to be able to engage those students and have them work the year prior or the semester prior, they can take a break or they can use the summer for testing and R&D, then they all come back together in early September, put the finishing touches on their creations, and get to prove them right there throughout the streets of Lowell. Yeah, so people are building something that, that has wheels, most likely, yep. also has some flotation devices, and uh, it has to be human-powered. Yes. Absolutely has to be human-powered. Um, there are no pneumatics, there are no hydraulics, no engines, no gasoline, nothing like that. It has to be basically human hamster wheel all the way through. Right. And you mentioned Corvallis. I think there's an event that happens down there that I'm aware of, although I haven't been to it. Yep, it is a Connect Sculpture Race. Um, it's a little bit scaled back from what we necessarily do, um, but uh, but it's been going on for a number of years, and it's an offshoot of the Grand Connect Championship, which, ha which happens in Northern California, which started in 1969 by okay. a sculptor named Hobart Brown. So is that the big the big event that everybody's kind of working towards that's, in other events around the country? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the one. There's you know all, there's probably a good eight or so more races around the country. Um, there's one down in Florida. There's one in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, there's uh, and there's four or five on the on the West Coast, um, and uh, one in Cal Colorado. Um, so we're you know this our startup here is um, it's something that I always wanted to do out here in New England. There wasn't anything that was like it in around here, and I always wanted to do it. And it just the stars aligned, and I talked to Bianca about it, and she's like, "Let's do it." Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I tend to get drawn to things where somebody says, "I don't think we can do this," and I'm like, "Oh." Hold, hold my coffee. Don't say can't. <laughs> That's right. Or say yep. can't and watch us drive. Um, yep. And it's been really amazing to watch it grow. So the first year when we went out to start doing development and sponsorship and fundraising, people looked at, it like, looked at us like we had three heads. You want to do what, where, and why? So the first year we scrounged it together as proof of concept. We had seven teams. We had a 6.2 mile course. We had all the obstacles in place but it was really like cobbled together because everyone still thought we were crazy. And we had a few sponsors who've stuck by us since the beginning, like the Merrimack Valley Convention and Visitors Bureau has been there since day one. Um, and was literally for, for some time the only people that believed in us. And we got that first year, we had 3,000 people show up, we proved our concept, the teams were thrilled, spectators were thrilled. And then going into the second year, we were able to double both attendance and participation. So last year we had 4, 000, uh, 14 teams, between five and 6,000 people attending, and it's all free. So it's all ages, it's all free, free to participate, free to spectate. So people are, are just now beginning to see the value in it, educationally as well. So we've had a lot more universities, STEM schools, um, you know, after school programs come on board, and we Boys just and recently club. were able to give our first donation to support the STEM 
Academy at the Rogers School, which is part of one of the after-school STEM programs in Lowell that we really believe in. And that's our future goal is to be able to contribute more and more to that STEM education and collaboration with the arts in kids in that age range so that they grow up knowing that this stuff is not only important but useful. Yeah, and not only is this a free event, but it's giving back and paying forward to the future. Yeah. Um, so th uh, you you came up with the idea of doing it here. You were inspired by something else? Yeah, so uh, I, I went to uh, undergraduate at Humboldt State University in Northern California, which is um, the hometown of where the first initial race starts. Um, initially, it started in Ferndale, California in 1969 with Hobart Brown, I mentioned earlier. And um, it continued to grow year after year to a point now where um, it, it crosses three different cities, um, Arcata, California, Eureka, and Ferndale. Um, it's a 60-mile race. It happens um, over the course of three days. Um, insane uh, obstacles. Um, what our teams have to go through here is nothing compared to what they have to do out there. What, what are um, we talking about with obstacles? So we're talking uh, giant sand dunes um, uh, that they have to go up and down, um, a huge hill that they have to go up and then also be able to go down the other side of that. Um, so brakes are really important. Um, and they navigate uh, a river crossing, which is a lot more than what we have for a river. Our river is pretty tame compared to this river where it's actually moving pretty quickly. Um, they make their way out into the bay, so they're out in the ocean, um, and also the 60 miles. So um, it's just a, it's a long haul. We'll get there. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. have, uh, <laughs> they have to, uh, you know, for the overnights, they have to stay, uh, one of their rules is they have to stay within spinning distance of their machine overnight. So they uh -huh. have campgrounds that they, these machines and teams have to stay at. So that makes for an interesting party at night also. And, yeah. and it's, a, it's just a fun time. Um, so I, you know, so I saw seven years of that. Um, and when I moved back to the East Coast, I'm from the East Coast, um, I was like, you know, geez, I'd love to be able to bring that here. Um, but just nothing ever seemed to kind of line up. There was an NEA grant that we tried to kind of that I tried to shoot for, and I, there was all kinds of these different ideas, and it was based around the National Historic Park or the um, uh, in Lowell, and they were looking for their um, what hundredth anniversary kind of bids to kind of uh, get this NEA grant, and everyone was throwing out these different ideas, and nothing was really kind of sticking to the wall, and so I was like sitting in the meeting, I was like, all right, well. Here goes, and I, I pitched it, um, had them pull up a website from the um, uh, from the Grand Kinetic Championship, and they were like, wow, what is this? Yeah. And not but like a week later, um, a good friend of ours, um, uh, April, introduced us, and when I pitched it to her, she was like, yeah, sure, yeah. let's do it. And I was gonna ask, how did you, so it was just a mutual connection, like this? A uh, mutual friend came up and, and said, hey, you wanna do something weird? And I was <laughs> like, I like weird. I mean, right now we're sitting in the middle of a, temporary skating rink in the middle of Boston. So right. clearly I like weird. Um, and she said, do you like weird? Here, meet somebody really weird with a really weird idea. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and that's and that's kind of how it started. And, and we built it over the last two years. It continues to grow. We're really excited. We might have some changes in mind for the course and some interesting things to throw at our teams this year because they seem to have, I wouldn't say mastered, there were definitely some issues, but some of our seasoned teams are really getting the hang of what we've been throwing at them. So in 2018, I think we're gonna put some wrenches in those works and really make them work for those trophies, okay. um, which are plentiful and hilarious. Yeah. Uh, the other aspect of the race that makes it uh, fun and engaging is that yes it is a competitive race you know there is a prize for first place 
but there are also about 11 other awards you can get, which were e which are equally impressive trophies for things like some of those yeah, things, so. biggest breakdown, best splash into the water, second to last, middle of the pack. So there are lots of things that teams can do to get one of those amazing trophies. Yeah, uh, costume contest is part of it. Costumes, they all have <laughs> to wear a costume. Their their uh, their machines have to have some kind of theme involved with them. Um, last year we had uh, the, the team that won the won the the big prize, the Ace Championship, was a team called Quack Attack. So their thing looked like a big rubber ducky, and everybody was dressed as as ducks. Um, so that was a lot of fun, and there's there was a like, bunch of other there teams. There were like thirty kazoos too. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> I can still hear that. Um, like that yeah, was, that so was on the duck theme, like it was just duck noise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> their, their bio on our website, when we asked everyone to submit a bio, because that's what we do for every team that registers, their bio, what did it say exactly? Quack, 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 quack. And that go. was it. Yeah. Totally legit. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. So the, what, are, what are some of the rules? Because we were going over, I was going over the prizes. There's also the rules listed on the site that you guys have to get away. If people want to know more, by the way, it's lowellkinetic.com. Correct. Lowellkinetic.com. Three L's and all. That yes. is really Two confusing. At the end. <laughs> <laughs> that is about the most confusing way you could have put that. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> uh, but yes, lowconnect.com. And, and uh, there is a listing of rules, and there's a, um, an area on there where you can learn about um, how to build a machine, um, uh, ways in which you can volunteer for the race, and ways you can also sponsor the race. Yeah, and um, if you know of any you know, businesses or organizations um, and want to point them towards us. We love to promote people in exchange for getting some help on the race. Yeah. You know, like we've said, we, like we can reiterate a million times, it's a completely non-profit event and we survive off of the donations and partnerships we've created. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the more important rules? Like what, what can people and can't people do when they're designing and using the structures that they're putting together? Yep. Well, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the main rules obviously is um, no feet on the ground. So they have to propel this thing um, without kind of uh, looking like Fred Flintstone, essentially. <laughs> okay. um, and, uh, you know, some of the other, you know, th so that's the main rules. Um, it has to kind of fit within um, typical um, uh, driving rules or car truck rules for the road. Um, and we're gearing, that's not necessarily necessary at this point, but as we move forward and the race starts to get bigger, there's going to be moments where we're going to be actually out on the road with cars and things like that. So we want to make sure that everybody's kind of sticking with those kind of rules. So street um, legal. Street legal. Um, they have to they have to make sure that they have a stuffed animal aboard somehow. That was one of the most important things that I noticed. That was yeah, very yep. very interesting. I wouldn't have guessed. There's moments when during the race, uh, several moments in fact, during the mud pit where uh, your machine breaks down, you're going to be awfully sad and you're going to be a little depressed. Having that stuffed animal is an awfully uh, really important thing. Helps yeah. you through. Um, uh, so what are some of the other things? Um, for for every team member that is riding the machine, you must have one pit crew. And the reason for that is that you can never have a one person doing this solo because a huge focus of it is collaboration and teamwork. Right. So even if you have a one person machine with one person riding it, they must have at least one pit crew with them. So it's right. never somebody by themselves. Gotcha. So this it's all about teamwork. It's all about teamwork. Yep. Yeah. And and using using the tools and the things you have around you to overcome some ridiculously awesome challenges. I don't think we've said it, but I, I'm assuming because you can't Fred Flintstone the thing, it's got to be mechanical. Uh, yeah. This usually means bicycle based in some yes. way, right? Yeah, yep. we, we encourage people to use repurposed materials. So to go out and find old broken bicycles, you know, get creative, find things that most people would consider trash and recycle them and make them into something amazing. Um, and so that's our, our focus. And we actually help teams with that. We help source. We have a couple of bike shops that are partners with us that will give us broken pieces and parts and spokes 
spokes and wheels. And some of our teams have really come up with some incredible creations out of what most people would consider trash. Yeah, what uh, what are some examples? What have some people ice done? Cream. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, one team that's called the Ice Cream Floats, and they, they're called, uh, actually, their their team name is Action Nerds. Um, last year, they created a machine that, or two years ago, they created a machine that had um, basically uh, two snowmobile treads, um, of which was bicycle-based, so they were driving those snowmobile treads. They were extremely slow, and, and of which we actually had to create a new rule that said you had to go faster than the bubbles that were coming out of your cannon. Ah, uh, because okay. they had a cannon, they, they called themselves <laughs> Think Tank, and um, they were extremely slow. But the following year, they came up with what was called ice cream floats. They had a giant wheel in the front that looked like almost like a hamster ball in some yeah. ways. And uh, uh, so it acted as, a, as their front wheel. And then they had two bikes in the back, um, of which was kind of pedaling and driving. Now, when they got stuck in the mud, they climbed up off of their bikes and pushed the wheel through the mud, okay. which without everybody was like, ground? without touching the ground. So they just kind of, they used their arms to kind of move that uh, move that wheel and everybody was flabbergasted, like, wow, look at that. Yeah, and the um, wheel almost looks like a like a geodesic dome or something like right. that. Like yeah. it's all, it's very structural. It's got a lot of, uh, a lot of metal. Yep. Um, and then obviously uh, um, there's, you know, there's some flotation devices on there because they still have to make their way through the water. Um, and, but they actually, they kept their cell themselves close to the edge of the river. Um, so they were actually able to use the wheel to kind of propel themselves by using the bottom of the uh, of the river to kind of make their way through. Okay. Um, Which is really skating the rules on that one. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. Like technically it was floating, but they were propelling along. It was, yes. was floating-ish. Yeah, yep. We didn't have to pull them out. So there we go. that right. was an improvement on the prior year where we found out after the fact that they were pulled out of the river by the fire department. And hence the other rule that there has to be some sort of tow point on your creation. <laughs> Correct, <laughs> exactly, yep. Unle just in case you you have to be rescued. Exactly. Yeah. Which comes up more than you'd think. Right, right. Uh, this picture that you're showing me of that one rig, there's also kind of a, a dual a dual kayak contraption. Yeah, so you know, a, a lot of teams um, go down a route that may necessarily not be super hyper-engineered, but really like they're strapping two bikes together um, and then putting two kayaks on the outside of that and then putting some artwork around that. Um, so it's um, so it's basically kind of, uh, it's a more simplified machine, so they're really kind of on mountain bikes um, with two kayaks that are attached to the side. Gotcha. And, and that works pretty well, and we've had a, a few teams that have gone down that pathway. And this one in particular, the one that we're referencing, has a giant cheeseburger on top, and it's uh, called yes. Cheeseburger in Paradise. This was created by the kids enrolled in the STEM Academy at the Rogers School, so this whole machine was created by kids going into sixth grade. Right. Between the summer of fifth and sixth grade, which is amazing because they learned things by accident. Yeah. Like, so they brought all these things together. They had two partially working mountain bikes, so their first job was to figure out how to fix two mountain bikes. How do we make these? So they go? had to make two non-functional mountain bikes and working mountain bikes, and then as they discovered, if you put two bikes next to each other and tie them together with kayaks, you now have a serious steering problem. <laughs> and so then they had to go through the process of first learning like why and then how to create a tie rod. Yeah. So they created their own tie rod, right. not knowing that tie rods were even a thing. Sure. So now, the, now these students know not only what a tie rod is, how to how to you know fashion a, a together one, but why it's important, why it's useful, and they apply these things you know more than in just mountain bikes. Yeah. They're they're. I had a fun them tell me a funny story about one of them like talking to their parents about it, and their one of their parents was like, "How do you know what a tie rod is?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and if anybody doesn't know a tie rod, 
ties two wheels together so they steer at the same rate right. so that you can go in the direction you want to go. It's <laughs> standard issue on any four-wheeled vehicle, yep. but most right. bicycles, unless you have a recumbent or something like that, or, or a Bach feats where, where something is necessary for that steering, but usually people don't do that. So these these kids came up with it independently. Up with the tie rod out of nowhere, being yeah. like, we need something that makes two wheels. Right when they got to the very end of it, their advisor on the program was like, congratulations, you've reinvented a tie rod. Exactly. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that in the picture, they're they're not sixth graders that are that are actually piloting this, no, right? No. So one of our rules is twelve and over. Okay. So um, we need all of our pilots, the people who are actually doing the things, um, to be twelve and over. Um, that's just mostly an insurance thing. Yeah. So they're they're mentors. A, pile of teachers from the school what they did was that all the students that created the machine were the pit crew so they stayed with the machine the entire time they helped fix it they helped maintain it there we go. but there was a rotation of adults that hopped on and off of the machine including so, the principal including the principal who would get on they'd do a section get off another set of adults would get on and do an obstacle while the students cheered them on and maintained yeah. the machine throughout right yeah those parents didn't realize what they were they had into. no <laughs> idea it was amazing. I, i'm impressed at how like like you said this is about collaboration and it's about people working together as a team i'm impressed with the stories that you're telling now just about how how many people are are working on a project like this. Uh, so how long do people usually spend in the process? Like, um, when, when do people start thinking about it this? It, it varies. I mean, we have teams that uh, you know wait until the last two weeks to kind of throw things together. Or the night before. Or the night before. Uh, we actually had one uh, the first year. Um, we got a phone call from a team that was uh, supposed to be coming up from Baltimore. They were bringing the machine up, and we had a full set of uh, uh, people that were going to man the machine and do everything that they needed to do, and uh, to make that work. And we got a, a call at the last minute. We can't make it. Our trailer's swarming all over the place. We're not going to be able to do it. And um, and that team was like, so Bianca called them and said, well, listen, they're not coming up. I mean, unless you can throw something together, like we're pretty much out of luck. And they were like, yeah, we can do that. We so they something. spent they spent 24 hours, not even 24 hours, and created um, basically like that two. Um, uh, two mountain bike kind of situation with two kayaks and, and made it work. So yeah. um, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. They had a blast. They came back last year and did another machine um, that was a little better, but it still had issues. Uh, <laughs> didn't really make it all the way through, but they had a good time doing it. Yeah. So what's the fail rate on these machines? Like, did, How many make it to the end without falling apart? We had three teams that qualified last this past year for ACE. Um, uh, for an ACE award, which is basically like following, following all the rules, not breaking down, not getting feet on the ground, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then um, a good group of them um, made it, survived, but didn't uh, had some other issues, so weren't able to kind of ACE qualify. And then we probably had a good four or five teams that actually did break down that weren't able to necessarily make it. Was it about that uh, many? We only had two that didn't finish. Okay, yeah. And the then some of them were the like... Blackjack being one of them. Yeah, and some of them were like, you know, uh, crawling their way to the to the finish yeah, line. Yeah, some of them are not it. the most graceful of finishes, sure, but, but they made it there. Um, yeah. And then, and we had a total like sleeper machine win the whole thing, Pastry Queen. Yeah. Which uh, was, yeah. Yeah, which was the the time one wanted as far as being yep. first place. Yep. Um, and this was another machine out of so. Um, why am I blanking on the name of the makerspace in Cambridge right now in Somerville? Oh, um, yeah, I'm not going to remember. I feel like I've seen it around. It's a kind of a people can come in and make their projects, yeah, rent time, yep. use material, yeah. that yeah. sort of thing. Yep. Um, so we had two machines come out of there, and, and they're going to kill me if they ever hear this, and I forget the name of it, okay. but understand that I am overworked and underslept. That's right. And um, and so this other machine, the the pilot or the creator's name is Jay Denegott, and she, she made this machine. She was real quiet about it. 
didn't really talk about it. She came to all the meetings, like listened. Um, she's good friends with the action nerds. And and then out of nowhere, she shows up with a you know modest looking machine, and and then ends up coming in first place of the whole thing. Like no issues throughout most of the day. She had like you know a small hang up with a mud pit, but got through it. Yeah. And then. And then I looked down Market Street, we're at the finish line, and we're waiting for the teams to come around the corner. And I looked down, and I'm like, is that Pastry Queen? Like, <laughs> like this machine that's just been like super quiet, yeah. nonchalant, just blasting by everybody at the finish line. Became an ace, yeah. Uh, awesome. What what recommendations would you give someone doing this? Obviously, there are secrets and tricks of the trade. You can't give those away, but um, what things tend to work better, and what things tend to not work so well? Uh, it's a range. I mean, you know, with um, with the actioners, you know, their their ice cream floats thing. I mean, they had they had a machine that was um, just really kind of broke, didn't break the rules, but really kind of was something totally out of the norm that we didn't expect um, with their big giant uh, hamster ball kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, there's there's all kinds of different ways you can go about this, which is really what what makes it so great is that um, you know these these people who are working with these kind of STEM steam kind of issues, they're having to be creative to kind of figure out how to solve these different problems that we throw at them and uh, so from having giant wheels to um, to having you know gears that actually work um, I would say you know a lot of people had issues with chains breaking um, so one of those kind of solutions one of the secret tricks is to get a motorcycle chain which you can actually get the same kind of spacing as a regular kind of uh, bicycle uh -huh. um, so that's a little more rigid a little sure. little not gonna break as easily It'll take um, a little more abuse. yeah exactly um, because there's a lot of pressure especially when you're going through the um, the mud pit um, the torque that's involved in that um, we had a we had a machine the first year um, one of our um, you know great uh, guy Jay uh, Hungate um, he made this kind of shark machine and he went through the, the mud pit and he didn't engage a certain kind of thing that he had planned um, as far as gearing down a little bit and what happened he actually kind of um, twisted his uh, one of his sprockets um, to a point where it was it looked like a noodle um, wow. because of the amount of it torque. Was amazing. Like the um, chain ring wouldn't function anymore. It, oh it's, no 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 no. Yeah, no, no, it was no, it, no. he was done. <laughs> so he he actually and what was great, which which adds to the story here, is like you know all of these teams are all kind of working together and and it's and while it's it is a competition per se with quotations, um, they all work together and they wound up actually um, giving off um, a toe strap or um, to get him to the next. Uh, to the water feature and then finish off at the race at the end. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, action nerds, let them borrow that, and he had other people helping him out. Um, so it was all like it's it's all a team effort in general to kind of uh, have fun and make this happen. Right. Yep. Right. If I could offer one piece of advice to anyone who's considering building a machine for any Kinetic Sculpts race, although we'd really appreciate it if you do the one in Lowell, um, do not underestimate the mud pit. Everybody underestimates what 50 feet of six to eight inches of mud is going to do to everything you have worked so hard on. <laughs> is a mud pit pretty standard for these? Like yes. if you go to every event, you're going to find you're mud. You're going to find a mud pit. Um, you're going to find them on various inclines, various grades, of various thicknesses and consistencies. What I can, what I cannot stress enough, even though you probably can't replicate this in your backyard, driveway, or makerspace, is do your research and do not underestimate the mud pit because it's going to make a really sad day for you for the rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So two examples for mud pits. There's one in Baltimore that actually they have to go up a hill that is a mud pit. Oh. Um, 
In California, the mud pit's a natural occurring mud pit that's on the side of um, a river. And so they have to make their way through that. There's one in Oregon also that's uh, extremely deep that I saw another team that would probably sail through our mud pit, but got extremely stuck and was actually um, the Grand Connecticut Championship champions uh, for two years running and yet still got stuck in this mud pit. You know, yeah. I think it was a Corvallis one. Okay. Yep. Uh, it I'm just thinking about like, is it tires? Is that what helps you get through? Like bigger tires? Is it something else? Tires. I mean, think about taking a regular mountain bike, just a one person mountain bike and going through a foot of mud. Yeah. yeah. Like not easy. Yeah. Um, and then, and you don't have the weight of a machine. You don't have the weight of flotation devices. You don't have the weight of uh, two to three other team members. Yeah. Things happen. Yeah. <laughs> so it's gearing too. It's like making yeah. sure that your yeah. gearing is, that you're, you're able to kind of ratchet that down to a point where you're not kind of putting so much pressure on those gears that uh, that you're going to make a, you're going to wind up breaking a so, chain or something like that. And one thing that a lot of people don't take advantage of is you're allowed to do things like switch tires, move things around. As long as you're carrying everything that you need for the entire day on board okay. you can yeah. stop before the mud pit we intentionally stop the race and I use quotes for that because we stop it in order so we don't let anything come out of order but before uh, each obstacle we pause the race to allow people time to make those adjustments so if you have you know your snow tires or your mud tires that you want to switch out you have additional flotation devices you want to blow up before the water this serves two purposes one it allows our teams to make those changes and two it allows our spectators most of which are walking or following the race on bike to catch up to the race and really get to see the most of every obstacle right. so there is a pause for everyone to put their to collect themselves and put themselves to get themselves together before each obstacle before they begin would you say is this inside the city of Lowell or is it around the city of Lowell or how, how would you describe the course right in the very of the much city. in the heart yep. we yep. start uh, right downtown at the intersection of Market and Palmer which is a really popular small business location in downtown it's also directly where the National Parks office is located we begin there we do the initial loop like Michael was talking about you know bone shaker alley and everything is right downtown in the cobblestone streets that used to line all the mills down there we go from there to the mud pit, which has traditionally been near the Songus Center. Um, so that's still within that downtown area. Okay. And then they travel two and a half miles down the boulevard, which is pretty popular in Lowell, to uh, to the Sampas Pavilion, which is a music venue there that also has our boat ramps that let us enter the water. And then a hundred yards later has that beach that lets us come up before we go right back to downtown. So it's very much in the heart of the city. Yeah. While, while the city is still happening around it. And so people could walk from one place to oh, another yeah. to see Most the majority do. of the action. So, we also yeah. have shuttles that take you from venue to venue, so if you don't feel like it or aren't up to it um, on that particular day, there are two shuttles that do a circuit between all three venues all day long. Yeah. What are some of the practical applications of this? Because this sounds like an amazing event. It sounds like it's super fun. What, uh, what do you think this teaches us uh, about kind of real world applications of machinery, of teamwork? A little bit of everything. I mean, it's it's uh, like you said, um, uh, uh, teamwork for sure. Um, and but it caught, it hits all those kind of STEM issues. It's um, uh, science, technology, engineering, math, um, and the artistic element. Um, and application-wise, I mean, it's it's learning and figuring, having uh, problem-solving kind of techniques, um, how to go towards um, making gearing work, and how to kind of line things up. As as Bianca said, you know, making a tie rod, um, and 
Uh, and I think, you know, I think the biggest lesson um, and the thing that they learn most is that kind of teamwork, teamwork element. Um, they really have to kind of work together, not only during the race, but even just building. And I experienced that my, the first year. I helped kind of um, with another team, um, Bill from Cochrane, New Hampshire. And we had two engineers, two engineers and two artists. Um, when you put those two in the same room together, um, you get a lot of hemming and hawing from the uh, engineers and you get a lot of the artists going, come on, let's just do it. So you have to really kind of like come to, to, come to a middle ground and say, all right, we can make this work. Um, take your ideas, take our ideas and kind of mix them together and, and make something happen from there. So Yeah, um, I mean, the only thing I would add to that is that it is a, it's a practical application of, of teamwork that you can take throughout your life. Yeah. So it's problem solving using what's around you and the resources you have in the people in your group. Um, because that's that's the biggest part of teamwork is that is leveraging those relationships and those and those different skill sets to solve problems. And and the whole lesson you can take away from it is that no one person can do this on their own. It takes input from every member of that team to get through this. Yeah, and people have to learn how to communicate with each other to yeah. get to those, uh, those... Communication, teamwork, and the ability to accept failure, learn from it, and improve upon that. And have a good time while doing it. Right. And, and still keep smiling and making funny faces and having your stuffed animal and dressing like in silly costumes. You know, it's all like, let's, let's take all this stuff, fail a bunch of times, laugh about it, and in the end, like, be inspired to create something amazing. Yeah. Uh, have you guys heard of the disaster relief trials from Oregon? And I think they've done one in San Francisco at least. Um, I've heard of it, but don't know much about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of an event. We, we've been talking about natural disasters like a big earthquake in the Northwest because uh, they yeah. say that that's coming. Yeah. And in our, in my town, it's a, it's a town that's like basically built on bridges. So like everybody goes across the river all the time. Yeah. None of those bridges are really earthquake proof. So the idea is that someday uh, we may have to rely on human powered transportation to get emergency supplies to people. So yeah. uh, this reminds me of that. This isn't focused on a disaster scenario, but this, these are the same kinds of skills. I think that if people are, if people have found out that they can do this, they might be prepared. Yeah, exactly. To to respond to an emergency of some kind using a human powered vehicle. Um, or something along those lines. Yep. Um, I'm curious, this also reminds me a little bit like we talked about mud, we talked about um, like equipment failure, reminds me a little bit of mountain biking, reminds me of cyclocross. Um, yep. do, is that something that either of you are involved in? Do you have adventures in the mud somewhere else? Uh, I don't <laughs> necessarily. Uh, I'm an OCR say, fan, so this is another type of OCR. So. Um, like I said, the weirder the better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I come at I come at it from uh, I'm an art professor at uh, UMass Lowell, so I come at it from the artistic end. And having seen the race in California, you know, for for those years, um, was inspired by that. Um, I love working with my hands and making stuff. So it's a part of like it. It's just a, an extension of of that kind of creativity that I yeah. enjoy. I personally enjoy just doing things that people say can't be done. Right. So whether it's, you know, OCR, Ironmans, weird events in strange places, if it involves two dump trucks full of mud, I'm even more in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that how the mud arrives in Lowell? Yeah. It's just like you get a big truck and yep. it's where do you where does one get this much mud? Um, well, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> um, so we have a couple different landscaping companies that we go to and the dirt has to be a specific kind of dirt for it to mud up in the way we want it to. 
Uh-huh. And it turns out, uh, weird nerdy pro tip, that uh, infield mix, the same stuff they use in, in a baseball infield, um, has the right amount of clay and dirt to mud up to the right consistency. So you want it to be a little bit sticky, a little tacky. Uh, yeah. You don't want it to be too soupy. Exactly. Right. So yeah. once we get that dropped off, which happens around 9 o'clock in the morning on race day, via dump truck, and then we have a crew there that spreads it all out, and then maybe the most exciting part of the entire race for some people is when the fire trucks come to wet it down. There we because go. Because who doesn't love fire trucks coming as an integral part of your event Seriously. to soak it down with like the forage hose. Right. It's awesome. That's great. <laughs> I love it. It's just an excuse. Like, I don't know, could the fire department maybe and the entire, all of Engine 3 and Lowell was like, yes, we are so in for this and came and just put on, you know, a bit of a show, which, right. which also they use it as a cross promotion thing for them as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of those public engagement things. Like it's it's like Santa Claus showing up on a fire truck, like he exactly. did in my neighborhood when I was a kid. Everybody so. loves fire trucks. Yep. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's L O W E L L K I N E T I C dot com. That's correct. Lowell, Connecticut. <laughs> yep. Three L's. Yep. Um, yep. So <laughs> free to race, free to register, free to spectate, and we would love any partnerships. Yeah. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to share? Um. I don't know. I think we. I don't know. Okay. Um, We're we're heavily in development mode right now, so those partnerships are really important to us. Like we said, we survive off donations and partnerships only. Um, Going into this year, you know, we're we're looking to build and expand upon what we've done before and are completely open to creative cross-promotion ideas. So if anyone has a weird idea that they'd like to bring to the race, we like it weird. Like, bring us a crazy idea like, hey, our company would like to, you know, whatever. And not only will we entertain it, we'll find a way to make it work. Yeah. Any business or institution that aligns with your goals and values could come and make this happen. Repurposing, recycling, STEM, arts, outdoor activity, physical education. We promote all of that. Right. So um, if we don't have a mission that aligns with your mission, I'd be shocked in some way. <laughs> <laughs> and last shout out for anybody that's on the West Coast. We are trying our best to try to get to the Grand Kinetic Championship, which is happening this May. Um, it's the 50th anniversary. So we're going to have it. We're hoping to get a team from Lowell that's going to be out there. So um, if you're out there, come visit us. Uh, we're going to be uh, we'll be down there and go check out that race, too. Excellent. Yeah, well, and check out all of our sister races. Yep. Um, the one in Baltimore, is they're a huge inspiration to us. Um, they helped us out a ton in the first year by helping us with that content, like pictures. So, Because we went to people and they were like, you want to do what, where, and why? We could show them pictures of Baltimore, and we're really grateful to them for, for helping us out with that. And to all the other you know, sister races around the country, we want to we want to urge people to go to them and participate just as much because we all have the same mission. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, Michael, Bianca, thank you so much for telling us a little bit about the Lowell Kinetic Sculpture Race. Thank you for coming to Frozen Tundra in the middle of Boston to do it. You know, I had to come (laughs) see my in-laws, so that, you know, that's, yeah. No, I love them. They're good. Uh, (laughs) Lowell Kinetic Sculpture Race, every third weekend in September. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Brock. All right, now I'm going to walk down off the hill here at Tufts University. After looking at the bronze statue of uh, Jumbo, who I guess was one of P.T. Barnum's elephants. And uh, after Jumbo's death, he was stuffed, mounted, and displayed here at Tufts University for quite some time. Always read the plaque, folks. It'll tell you a lot. (laughs) I'm about to walk by the building where uh, I think uh, Jumbo's face is emblazoned. I think that might be the science hall. And then down by the liquor store where I'm going to stop before the holiday closure, there is a painting of elephants on a transformer box. How cool is that? Okay, again, happy holidays to you and yours, wherever you are, from wherever we happen to be. 
We love you, and we'll see you next week on the Sprocket Podcast. <laughs>